The Bob Hope 65th birthday celebration with these stars as guests Bing Crosby, Jimmy Durante, Frank Sinatra, Milton Burrow, Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy, Jack Benny, George Burns, Johnny Grant, Jerry Colonna, Francis Langford, Doris Day, Dr. Billy Graham, and Senator George Murphy. better known as God City. <laughs> yes, sir. Denang is one of my favorite stops, and I mean stops. Go <laughs> any further, and you're in Kong country. <laughs> and the guys love it here because Denang has such a wonderful location. It's so handy to downtown Hanoi. And their motto is Semper Fidelis. That means, oh, don't worry about it, Doc. Just nail it back on. This is Frank Brzee inviting you to join us for the next one hour as the Armed Forces Radio and Television Service presents this special Bob Hope birthday tribute. On May 29th, Bob Hope celebrated his 65th birthday. More than 40 years devoted to entertaining audiences around the world, wherever they may be. It wasn't an easy beginning. Bob Hope's show business tribulations were equal to anyone who had the calling. But it didn't take long for Bob to become the nation's rage. Audiences laughed until they rolled in the aisles, and they haven't stopped for four decades. Here he is, Mr. Bob Hope. Everything's gone up at home. Prices, taxes, and miniskirts. <laughs> miniskirts are bigger than ever. Even some of the fellas are wearing them. <laughs> Don't laugh. If you'd have thought of it, you wouldn't be here. Bob Hope was actually born in England, and when only a child, moved to the United States. Raised in Cleveland, Ohio, his early years tested his desire to entertain. Here's how Bob explains it in his own words. Well, actually, it was my idea because I figured I had very little chance of becoming king. And uh, we just, uh, we moved to Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, well, I did a lot of things. I worked at the Channel Motor Car Company. I sold shoes. I worked for my brother, who was a butcher. And I delivered, and I also worked behind the counter. I weighed my thumb. My thumb weighs about 9,000 pounds. I started boxing. I fought under Rembrandt Hope. I was on the canvas so much. Now, uh, I don't know. My, my friend of mine, uh, Packy West, uh, a friend of mine fought under the name of Packy West. So for a gag, I, I decided to take Packy East. And I got hit pretty hard in my last bout. And that, I bounced right into dancing school. And I kept dancing right into vaudeville. And uh, I started doing Charlie Chaplin imitations and some of the contests around there and won a couple. And later on, I played with, uh, well, I would say uh, 28 years later, I played with Paulette Goddard, who uh, did her first picture away from Chaplin with me at the Paramount Studios, and then met Chaplin. And uh, Charlie Chaplin looked at me and said, you know, I want to congratulate you on your comedy timing. And I've never told this anywhere else, and I, I get a great, great thrill out. It's one of the great thrills I get out of this, this business, because... Uh, here I, I used to do impersonations of them, and uh, in those days there were many, many tab shows. And a tab show was a miniature musical comedy. Uh, it was a sixteen-people show, a tabloid, and uh, I did everything. I did straight. I did comedy. I did uh, character parts. I sang. I played saxophone. It's sort of in the you know in the form of a confession. This show. In the late 30s, Bob Hope is on his way with his own radio show. I wonder how many listeners remember his Tuesday night broadcasts when he sang his now famous theme song, Thanks for the Memory. 
All thanks for the memories. You folks who listen in to have your Tuesday grin. Without your aid, I'd be afraid to think where we'd have been. So thank you so much. Bob Hope captured his musical theme in 1938, and it's introduced him ever since, including this April 15th, 1938 radio show. Bob Hope was only 34 years old. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Cliff Hall. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I'm very happy to be on this dedicatory program. <laughs> but really, this is an unusual event, and we certainly have the weather for it. There was a time... There was a time... Just take your time tonight. Don't worry about a thing. There was, there was a time in Los Angeles when we used to have swell weather, but a lot of bridges have passed under the water since then. Oh, they're waking up. But I don't have to tell you again that this is a beautiful building. It really is. It looks like the Taj Mahal with a permanent wave. I mean... Oh, it's really the last word in broadcasting stations. Very swanky. Even the janitor wears formal overalls with tails and uses a platinum blonde broom. I wish you could be here. And really, everything is so modernistic. Disappearing microphones, disappearing fountains, disappearing lighting effects. <laughs> Reminds me of my last program. <laughs> I had a disappearing sponsor. But my, um, my sponsor was here for the groundbreaking, by the way. He put my option under the cornerstone. <laughs> now nobody can lift it. You know what an option is, a nervous breakdown on paper. But... <laughs> But really, but really, you should see this theater here. So modern, it seats 1,200. Oh, I'm sorry, 1,201. Phil Harris has a girl sitting on his lap. I didn't see that over there. And it's so clean. They have a germ-proof microphone, a hermetically sealed control room, sanitary door handles, sterilized scripts, and they tell me before each broadcast they're going to boil the ushers. <laughs> and if you look on the back of the seat there, you'll find our little vending machine. That's because every time a comedian tells a bad joke, the machine automatically flips out an aspirin. You'll find it right in the back there. It'll flip at you after that one there. But anyway, they're doing away with those old-fashioned applause signs, too. Instead, they're going to use train field. <laughs> That's a weak gag. That's for the folks that still have the crystal set. But anyway... <laughs> Bob Hope is the talk of the nation. New York, Hollywood, and cities across the country are begging for his appearance. The times are changing. The United States enters World War II, and Bob Hope becomes one of the first to take his entertainment directly to the fighting servicemen. Well, here we are in this beautiful, romantic South Pacific Island. Where do I see that George of Amour? What a lie. This is really a beautiful island. This is a concentration camp with coconuts. This is love. And these Marines get lots of furloughs to go home. There's only one little hitch. All the transportation is routed through Tokyo. <laughs> well, everyone is treating me swell here. I hadn't been here two minutes before they were begging me for my signature. And I'm still trying to find out who had me sign up for the Japanese Navy. <laughs> I just arrived from the States. You know the States? That's where Churchill lives. <laughs> well, he doesn't exactly live there. He just goes back to deliver Mrs. Roosevelt's laundry once. <laughs> plane trip over the Atlantic. What a plane trip. Halfway across, the pilot turned around to me and he said, are you a little nervous? I said, yeah, this is only my third time up. He said, you beat me, this is my first. I wasn't nervous, but I was shaking so hard the pilot cut out both motors and my knees kept the plane in the air. I went for a ride today in a Coast Guard cutter and it was a trifle rough. I won't say there was much of a breeze, but it was the first time I ever spit in my own eyes. A lot of these sailors sleep in hammocks. You know what a hammock is. That's government issue curvature of the spine. Bob explains how and why he started broadcasting for camp shows. Actually, we started working for the military in 41. And we did our radio show for five solid years in military bases. I don't believe there's any place on this earth where servicemen have been stationed that Bob Hope is not entertained. Here he is in England in July 1943. Well, it's certainly great being here in good old jolly England. Yes, sir, here we are. You know, England, that's the place that Churchill visits when he leaves America. <laughs> He's got to come back here once in a while so he won't lose his accent. One month later, somewhere in Africa... 
was wonderful being back in Africa. Good old Africa. Oh. Of course, of course, of course you can get out of Texas, but the, and the heat, and the heat here, boy, what heat. It's the first time I ever laid a fried egg. I really, I really no stranger here. I was on the road to Morocco once. Now I'm, now I'm doing it the hard way. It's August 1944, and hopes in the South Pacific. Well, here we are on this beautiful, romantic South Pacific island. Boy, aren't these islands pretty? We've had a very fast flying trip up to now. Flew all the way down here from San Francisco. Didn't scare me a bit. I read a novel coming down. Going back, I'm going to read the second page. wasn't entertaining servicemen at armed forces installations, he was entertaining them here at home. I don't know how many armed forces command performance radio shows he appeared on, but I'm sure he holds the record. Here he is in Hollywood in September 1944, just after his return from the South Pacific. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob. That wasn't my Scots that fell out of the plane, Hope. You know, while I was down in the South Pacific, I saw a lot of the stations, the Armed Forces Radio Service, the outfit that makes programs like this command performance possible. Yes, sir, the Army has transmitters all over the Pacific. You know what they are. And radio with transmitters is a thing that covers a lot of important territory. We have the same thing in Hollywood, only we call it a sarong. <laughs> all the stations are run by soldiers, and of course that makes things different. They don't use chimes to start a program. They just rattle the dice, and they're on the air. <laughs> And putting up a radio station down there in the jungle is very difficult. Really, you've got to make sure the aerial is too low for the P-38s to knock down and too high for Tarzan to swing on. <laughs> <clears throat> and, of course, radio equipment is scarce on those islands. The men have to use anything they can find. I know one station where they have to use coconuts instead of tubes. It worked out fine, too, except that that was the first time H.V. Carltonborn ever gave a news summary and a quart of milk at the same time. <laughs> You know, the weather down there is like it is here. Of course, they have a light sprinkle now and then. Light sprinkle, that's South Pacific. For man the boats, boys, the island disappeared again. <laughs> and you should have seen the size of some of those South Pacific islands we landed on. They were really little. One island we hit was so small, the gophers had to take turns coming up. <laughs> Everywhere we went, Francis Langford was a big hit. Over in Australia, Francis sang, Is you is or is you ain't my baby. And in one hour, every GI in the country was wearing diapers. I was glad to get back and see that Hollywood hasn't changed much. Much Slacks are still the rage. You can see everything in slacks, except slacks. And I, uh, and I understand that Crosby just went to England. That's silly. I thought London had all the fog it needed. Hope had a few regulars that traveled with him during those war years. Francis Langford, Skinny Ennis, and his favorite foil, Jerry Colonna. I want to say, ladies and gentlemen, now I'd like you to meet a member of our troop that has just returned from the South Pacific, a man who's been all over, a famous world traveler, Professor Colonna, right here. <laughs> Professor, we'd like a few words on your experience as a world traveler. That Pacific tour wasn't your first big trip, was it, Colonna? Oh, no, I've been to England, Russia, Australia, Africa, and Alaska. You've been to England, Russia, Australia, Africa, and Alaska. Yes. I'll get one of your checks cashed yet. <laughs> Did you really go to Africa? Uh, certainly, and a famous hunter accompanied me on my trip. Buck? What's that? I said buck. Yes, I did. Roll him out. <laughs> you certainly, um... <laughs> you certainly like to see a lot of the world, don't you, Kelowna? Ah, uh, yes. That's why I just enlisted in the wax. Professor, the wax are all women. If you're in the wax, you're the only man in a group of thousands of women. <laughs> Happy little minority, <laughs> Professor, this is ridiculous, trying to say you're in the wax. Well, now, Hope, don't get sore just because you couldn't pass the physical. 
You know, Colonna, one thing puzzled me on our trip. You never worried about us coming down in the ocean. There's an awful lot of water out there, you know. Oh, I don't worry about that, Hope. I can hold my breath for three hours. You can hold your breath for three hours? That's ridiculous. Oh, it is, eh? Yes, it is. Nobody can hold his breath for three hours. Well, watch. I'll prove it right now. Professor, how are you doing? <laughs> Where's the guy go for a retread? continues his hurried pace. He stars in several pictures a year and makes uncountable personal appearances, all in addition to his regular Tuesday night radio show. Here's an excerpt from the popular Bob Hope radio show. He's broadcasting from Philadelphia in Ladies and gentlemen, this is Bob broadcasting from Town Hall in Philadelphia, Hope. Now that the president has taken meat out from under the ceiling, we can all stop squealing. You won't have to go in the butcher shop kneeling, and once more, a steak will give your teeth that old feeling. Yes, sir, I went to the football game here over the weekend. During the first half, the pigskin was kicked into the stands, and the crowd went crazy. It was the closest they'd been to meat in months. Of course, the Democrats knew they had to do something about the meat shortage. The Republicans were just about ready to cook their donkey for them. <laughs> yes, sir, but here we are in Philadelphia. Philadelphia, the birthplace of independence. And all the girls I meet are certainly upholding the tradition. Philadelphia is really an old town with historical traditions. I know because I walked by the Union League Club today and three members were still kneeling in the windows firing at redcoats. Two years later, the armed forces asks Bob Hope to go on the road again. Here's how he tells it. In 1948, Senator Symington asked us to go on the airlift. He was then Secretary of Air Force and asked us if we'd go on to the, uh, and do a, a show... Uh, in, in Berlin, or in Wiesbaden, in Berlin, you know, for the airlift, and which we did with uh, Irving Berlin and Texan Jinks and uh, General Doolittle and Vice President Barkley at that time. And uh, we, we flew over there and we did that show. Thank you, Tony. Thank you very much, fellas. How do you do? I want to tell you, I had a nice trip in from America. You know America, that's where if you got a couple of cigarettes, you smoke them. <laughs> snapped the cigarette butt away today and it was traded twice before it hit the ground. Once <laughs> after. General Clay was at the airport when I arrived. I ran out and said, here I am, General, all ready to go. He said, fine, get back on it, we'll turn the plane around. <laughs> As we arrived over Berlin, several Soviet planes started to buzz us, but the first Russian pilot took one look at me and said, oh, okay, look at the hammerhead and sickle. <laughs> Know me. Whenever I walk down the streets of Berlin, everybody follows me yelling and cheering. Any of you fellas know what swine hunt means? That Bob Hope Bing Crosby friendship isn't just a Hollywood publicity stunt. Bob and Bing may have the film colony's longest lasting friendship, almost 40 years. Bob tells us how he and Bing first met. I met Bing back here about 1932, and uh, we appeared at the Capitol Theater with Abe Lyman's orchestra and that called Cass McEnone. We played two weeks and did a lot of bits together. I was a master of ceremonies of the show, and Bing was doing his uh, his act, his singing act. I think that's what he called it in those days, too. And uh, we did a lot of bits together and had a lot of fun. So when I moved into the Paramount Studios, that's how we happened to start the Road Series. And here's one of the Hope and Crosby hit tunes from Road to Morocco. 
We're off on the road to Morocco. Well, look out. Well, clear the way. The many fires sleep on nails and saw their wives in half. It seems to me there should be easier ways to get a laugh. Well, I slip my big shoes on. Off on the road to Morocco. Duck. Yes, the green light. Come on, boys. We may run into villains, but we're not afraid to roam. Because we read the story and we end up safe at home. Yeah. Certainly do get around. Like Webster's Dictionary, we're Morocco bound. One of Bob and Bing's favorite pastimes was surprising each other with ad-libs on their radio shows. Bob has this to say. We used to frame writers to, to find out what he was going to ad-lib or what I was going to ad-lib, and then they'd give somebody else the answer, and we'd throw in the ad-lib just ahead of the time he was going to do it, or I was going to do it, as the case maybe. And uh, these, these things used to break, we used to break each other up this way, both in pictures and on radio. But you know, they sure do draft the fellas in a hurry here. Did you see that one guy who was all bent over? Yeah, what happened to him? It's not far from the beach. <laughs> what? What's the... Well, that's what it says here. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Go back there. You skipped the page. Oh, yeah. I thought that was pretty dull for a punchline. <laughs> what is that? Wait a minute. Not far from the beach. Isn't that awful? <laughs> wait, we're on page 50? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do one page at a time. Okay, okay. Let's try it you again. Let's try again? Stick out your tongue so I can wet my thumb. Thank okay. you. <laughs> Let's see now. Where, oh, you do that line about the guys being drafted. First, okay, right? I say, you know, they sure do draft the fellas in a hurry here. Did you see that one guy who was all bent over? Yeah, what happened to him? Well, he was a plumber and they drafted him before he could get out from under the sink he was fixing. <laughs> Not far from the breach. I think I like that better. <laughs> that sounds like the kind of a line you'd give me on your show. <laughs> <laughs> At least I don't glue your pages together. Drop in again, we'll glue you together. <laughs> you got the horses for it. Don't wait, wait, now. Keep looking, you'll find a beach in there somewhere. <laughs> and you know, recreation facilities are excellent, too. They have ping pong, shuffleboard, and if they feel like it, the fellas can go swimming in the surf. Not far from the beach. <laughs> So that's where the line fits, you little rascal, you. <laughs> I loved you the first time I said you. Yes, I did. You really like that line. No, I may adopt it. I think it needs a home. But I, uh... There's only one other entertainer who's made his nose a trademark. The two most famous noses in show business belong to Bob Hope and the lovable Jimmy Durante. I became very conscious of the nose bit with Jimmy Durante when we played together in Red Hot and Blue here in New York at the Alvin Theater. And I uh, had much trouble uh, seeing the audience and trying to get out from behind his nose. It was pretty tough. I was in that show, I think, for about 18 weeks before the audience ever saw me. And here's an excerpt from one of Hope and Durante's most remembered performances. Folks, this life is tough. We both suffer such abuses. Girls phoning day and night. I've run out of excuses. We're not bragging, we're complaining, and don't think this is treason. We know we're not good-looking, our proboscises are the reason. Who's got all the charm? Durante and Hope. Who's got all the personality? Hope and Durante. <laughs> Who's got all the subtle fare? Durante and Hope. Who 
who's got all the money? Crosby. Artists, <laughs> this is not just a lot of noise. We wish there was something we could do for other boys. No wonder fellas in this town walk around with a great big frown. They're jealous of the boys with the proboscis. They beg for dates with all the chicks, but we have to beat them off with six. No one likes the boys with the proboscis. Our secret is variety. That's what we found. My nose turns up. And my nose turns down. <laughs> we got an awful problem. Every time we get too close, we lock bumpers. <laughs> You'd think this life would make us smile, but it gets boring after a while. Blame us if we sit around and mope. Now analyze our assets from our profile to our chassis. I've got so much more than Gregory. I've got so much more than Lassie. <laughs> So if you've got a sweetie and you plan to elope, beware of the boys of the proboscis. Ah, Jim, my nose has never been in the handicap when it comes to girls. Why, in one night I once went out with five girls. So what? In one night I went, once went out with ten girls. Mm. Well, on my dresser I've got pictures of twenty beautiful girls. On my dresser I've got pictures of forty beautiful girls. Uh-huh. Well, I've been proposed to by fifty girls. But I've been proposed to by a hundred girls. Well... Oh, no, you don't. This time you go first. <laughs> so, if you've got a sweetie and you plan to elope, beware of the boys with the proboscis. Yes, sir. Beware of the boys with the proboscis. Jimmy Durante couldn't resist this opportunity. Here's his personal message to Bob. Hello, Skinos. Why don't you get your nose popped? You know, you take a lot of play away from me. Happy birthday, Bob. Some of Bob Hope's many friends have joined us on this special Armed Forces Radio and Television salute with special birthday wishes. Here's Frank Sinatra. What you say, Hips? This is Bones. I was going to send you a telegram today, but nobody knew your exact location, so I'll just sing these greetings to you. Happy birthday, big star. Happy birthday, big star. Happy birthday, dear Robert, wherever you are. The renowned king of television adds his birthday wish. This is Milton Berle. I just want to tell you that I hope you live to be as old as my material. Yeah, I've used a lot of your jokes, but your contribution to Uncle Milty has never been as important as your contribution to Uncle Sam. So happy birthday, Bob, and God bless you. And most of you know this Armed Forces Network personality, Mr. Johnny Grant. Hello, I'm Johnny Grant. And I am very pleased and honored to be on this special program celebrating the 65th birthday of Bob Hope. 65 years, and believe me, they've been very active. As a matter of fact, I believe it was once said that if Bob Hope had to live his life over again, there just wouldn't be enough time. So, Rob, if you're listening, this is your old buddy here. And I want to wish you a very, very happy birthday and many more of them. George Burns adds his birthday wish by remembering a film that he and Hope starred in. The only time I ever worked with Hope was we uh, we did uh, one of those college humor pictures. I think Crosby was in it and Hope and Jack Benny and Martha Ray and uh, Edward uh, Everett Horton and uh, oh, everybody was in it. And I think at the finish of the picture, uh, Bob Hope married Martha Ray and they left for Pittsburgh and then the rest of the cast was supposed to walk into the camera and sing, you know, those hackneyed uh, finishes they had in musicals then. And as we walked into the camera, I looked alongside of me, and there was Hope and Martha Ray. And they were supposed to be on the train going to Pittsburgh. So I said to the producer, I said, look, um, you can't have Martha Ray and, and, and Bob Hope in the finish of the picture because they just left for Pittsburgh. And he said, look, he said, George, you just stick to acting and I'll stick to producing. So that's the way he shot it. I don't have to tell you what happened. Uh, Hope and Martha Ray left for Pittsburgh, and the producer left for New York. Bob, I want to wish you a happy birthday, and if I had my um, my arranger here, I'd sing it for you. Maybe I'll sing it without my arranger. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Bob. Happy birthday to you. Nothing faces me. Most of us will long remember the two smartest dummies in show business. Edgar Bergen helps Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Snurd 
wish Bob a happy birthday. Well, back in radio days, uh, Bob Hope used to borrow my audience. Uh, he had the studio right next to me and followed me on the air. And uh, <laughs> sometimes he would blame me if his show didn't go because I ruined the audience. <laughs> and there were a few shows where I think I did it, too. <laughs> and, uh, Charlie? Huh? I, aren't you going to say something? Oh, yeah. What's the occasion? Well, we're sort of celebrating Bob Hope's birthday. Well, now, you know, that's pretty nice. I must say one thing. Bob is a pretty funny man for an old man. Yeah. I'm looking for a younger ventriloquist myself to work with. <laughs> Mortimer? Oh, yo. Say something. Oh, yo. Uh, who are you? Oh, I'm Mortimer. Uh, uh, Mortimer. Uh, oh, yeah. Mortimer Snurd. And, uh, and uh, I want to say... Uh, happy birthday. Yeah. I want to say happy... Uh, happy... Happy Father's Day? No, 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 no. Happy birthday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> happy birthday, oh, Mr... Happy birthday, Mr. Hope. Oh, Mr. Hope, yes. <laughs> I get so mixed up. <laughs> and here's everyone's favorite 39-year-old. Hi, Bob. This is Jack Benny. And I want to wish you a happy birthday. A very happy birthday. Now, I haven't had a birthday in 30 years. One of Bob Hope's most cherished friends recalls how he first met Bob at the old-time Capitol Theater in New York. Mr. Bing Crosby pays his special tribute on Bob's 65th birthday. Listen to this heartfelt message from Bing. I first met old uh, Robert uh, in New York City. We were both playing on the bill at the Capitol Theater. I was doing a single, singing single, and uh, Bob was working with Barclays Bears. I think he held a, a flaming hoop while the bears jumped through or something like that. No, seriously, he was doing a single, too. He was doing a, a monologue with some uh, very dated gags, but he went over pretty good just on his brash delivery and uh, on sheer bravery, I think. But anyhow, uh, Bob, it's a great, great charge for me to be uh, on this little tribute to you on your 79th birthday. It's really remarkable, uh, the things you do at such an advanced age and do them so willingly without anybody having to beat you or cudgel or you drive you to them. I admire you. You are really... Uh, a great, great workman, and uh, seriously, I do want to commend you for the great things that you've done in your life, the great uh, image that you've given our industry all over the world. I think that uh, our industry is lucky to have such a fellow as you connected with it, and uh, I'm sure everybody is grateful to you for all the things that you've done. Happy birthday, Robert. And here's Bob and Bing trading punches on one of their early radio shows. <laughs> Boy, how you carry a grudge. You really heat up and smolder when you drop a few Morgenthau mash notes at golf, don't you, huh? You mean the other day? Yeah. You just had beginner's luck. Beginner's luck? Yeah. You just began once too often, brother. <laughs> you simply tried to trap a superior apple tapper. Uh, what I'm playing with today, too. You had the wind at your back. We were both playing in the same direction. The wind was at your back, too. Oh, yeah, but look at the sail you've got. <laughs> Do you want to compare physiques, flesh and fantasy? <laughs> oh, hearken to old Flab and Drab here. <laughs> Next to you, I shape up like John Hall, or shall we say one of those South Sea Islanders. Yeah, and you could cook a missionary in that pot you carry. <laughs> Bob Hope traded guest appearances with many stars during the golden days of radio. He and Jack Benny were an uncomfortable pair. Now, as I was saying... We... Please, please. Hey, you. Hey, Evelyn, stop with that magic violin. I resent that. Well, Jack Benny, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Jack, what are you doing here? Some surprise. <laughs> we rehearsed nine weeks already. Bob, look, it, I heard about your leg, and I thought I'd pay you a visit. Well, that's swell of you, Jack, but how come you're sitting in with Les Brown's orchestra? Well, just once I wanted to play in a band and not worry about the leader's breath taking the varnish off my violin. Comedians enjoy poking fun at each other, both in public and private life. Bob Hope and the famous banjo-eyed comedian Eddie Cantor were no exception. I was on your program Tuesday night, and now you're on my show. You know we make a great team, Bob and Eddie? Yeah, hope and hopeless. <laughs> Already with the past jokes, aren't you, Bob? Yeah, and I got a crusher tonight. Just made it up. Get this, folks. 
Bing Crosby has so much money that it bears in his backyard. The, the other day, he dug halfway down and met Tanner coming up. <laughs> hey, but wait a minute, Bob. Bob, you know, you know, you're an amazing guy. Honestly. You're in radio, pictures, you write books. And I understand you only get two hours sleep a night. Now, on the level, Bob, for a man to write two wonderful books without a formal education is a great accomplishment. Now, just a minute, Eddie. Don't go too far. There's only one thing that kept me from going to college. What was that? High school. <laughs> well, it was only one thing that kept me from going to high school. What was that? Kindergarten. <laughs> well, what? We can keep going. There was only one thing that kept me from going to kindergarten. What was that? My wife wanted me to go out and get a job. Jerry Colonna is definitely one of Bob Hope's favorites. Here, Jerry and Bob do one of their bits. Hello? Well, the stash himself, Professor Colonna. How are you? Hey, Colonna. Hello, Hope. I'm calling you from Canada. From Canada? Why are you talking so loud? No telephone! <laughs> you know, Kelowna, you shake my sanity. No, you shake my sanity. It's looser. <laughs> <laughs> Professor, tell me, why are you this way? Well, Hope, I've had a hard time. For two years after I was born, I led a dog's life. For two years after you were born, you led a dog's life? Why was that? Old man thought I was a cocker spaniel. <laughs> Well, how did he find out you were a Cocker Spaniel? I'm a Cocker Spaniel snitch. <laughs> Professor, stop clowning and get over here right away. Okay. What bridge are you going to take? Oh, I don't need a bridge. I'll drive across the bay. But, Kelowna, the bay is 100 feet deep. I know, but I've got it figured out. I've sealed up my car to keep out the water. I sealed up the floorboards. I locked the windows and puttied up the windshield. Now, here I go. Here's Jerry Colonna's personal birthday wish to Bob. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Robert Hope. Happy birthday to... Robert, happy birthday from me to you. And a word from one of Bob's traveling companions, the darling of the AEF during the Second World War, Francis Langford. Hi, Bob. This is Francis Langford. Happy birthday, and I hope I'll be here next year saying the same thing to you. The singing star of many Hope radio shows, one of Hollywood's all-time favorites, the beautiful Doris Day adds her birthday wishes. Hi, Bob. This is Doris Day, or um, JB, as you used to call me. And I just want to send you love and wish you a very happy birthday and many, many more to come. A special birthday wish from the first show business personality to successfully enter the national political scene, Senator George B. Murphy. Bob, I'm tickled to death to have this opportunity to join with all the others of your millions and millions of friends and admirers throughout the world to wish you a very, very happy birthday and as many more healthy, happy, and prosperous birthdays as you care to enjoy yourself. God bless you. Many entertainers would trade the world's riches for the standing, screaming ovations that welcome Bob Hope wherever he goes. The armed forces personnel aren't ones to hide their emotions. It's now 1950. Thousands of American soldiers enter the Korean conflict, and Bob Hope again assembles a star-studded troop to entertain our men on the fighting front. Listen to this welcome. You remember old Poppy Tom? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we're here in Seoul, Korea, known to the world over as the gateway to the boondocks. is Korean for Disneyland. It's now 1951, and Bob Hope is invited to be the first comedian to appear on a live coast-to-coast TV show originating from Hollywood, California. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Well, here I am doing my bit to increase movie attendance. <laughs> and I just want to tell you, that about a year and a half ago, I started out in television doing an hour-and-a-half show, and then they cut it down to an hour... And this year I'm doing a half hour. I think NBC is grooming me for a station break. <laughs> but I think that this show tonight is probably one of the first shows to go out over the coaxial cable to New York. It's going all the way across the country, and it's amazing to me. 
this whole cable business. Just think, here I am doing a show in Hollywood, and somewhere else I'm six feet underground. <laughs> no applause, please. No, and I found out who's paying for this. You know, the, it cost the phone company $40 million to put the cable in. And I know who's paying for it. Last night I called Santa Monica, and the operator said, Deposit $400 for three minutes, please. The year is 1965. The United States is once again called to Southeast Asia. That means Bob Hope is off again. This time he's bringing a touch of home to our troops in Vietnam. Here we are choppering our way to Han Kê. Four months ago with jungle. Now it's the home of the first air cavalry. There's plenty of action around here. You can see the artillery fire on the hills below. As a matter of fact, General Kennard came down for the action to welcome us. little patch you got here. Nice little fungus patch. I'll say... Who's your CO? A crocodile? This is the only base in the world where the penicillin suffers from jungle rot. This is a lovely little spot. Nice little runway you got here, too. It's great if you're coming in by lizard. There comes one now. Damn the enemies all around. So please laugh it up. You wouldn't want them to think we have a morale problem, would you? We got a late start for the Marines at July. The number three engine cut out on our C-130 and we have to switch to another plane. We put a hustle on stage. First, I want to apologize for us being a little late. But uh, coming out of the train, <laughs> we had one of those chicken pilots who won't fly just because a couple of motors are missing. <laughs> anyway, you opened the sky for us, and we're very thrilled to be here in John Wayne land. <laughs> the other bases invited me. This one dared me. to be here with the Marines. Their motto is uh, Semper Fidelis, which means let's call a 24-hour truce and sort teeth. <laughs> you know how they say a Marine is so tough he can eat nails? I ate at the Marine mess last night. It was the best thing on the menu. <laughs> what I can see, these guys have fairly comfortable quarters, although the plumbing is old-fashioned. <laughs> They say this war is escalating. We're fighting a push-button war with pull-chain equipment. And it's kind of remote here. These guys go to bed with a rifle by their side. Not for safety, for companionship. Yes, uh, this is the most secret base I've ever visited. Everything's strictly hush-hush. At dawn, the bugler just thinks revelry. <laughs> and he tiptoes from bunk to bunk and whispers, The general's up. How about you? That's our next gig down below. One of my favorite rafts, the USS Bennington. Standing by to take us aboard. Thank you very much, old Grim. Thank you. Very happy to be here in this fresh air camp. What's the name of this island? Ladies and gentlemen, here we are on the carrier Bennington. When we landed yesterday afternoon, I made a slight mistake. I got between Joey Heddington and 3,000 sailors. So I feel almost as good without ribs. They've been very nice to us. They gave me nice quarters. I really have a nice cabin, except when the catapult goes off. It's an older, one of the older ships. The boatswain's mate has a peg leg and a patch over his eye. Everyone wants to be home for Christmas, even Bob Hope. 
But Bob won't disappoint the thousands of young men and women stationed at Play Coup, Vietnam. Here's Bob on Christmas Day, 1967. This war gets bigger every year. And as the war gets bigger, the casualties mount. The Fighting Fourth Division here at Play Coup now has its own memorial. And it's inscribed, I cannot think of them as dead who walk with me no more. Along the path of life I tread, they have but gone before. Come back next year when our country and our people will have peace back, freedom, and independence. Wouldn't it be great if this came true? A lot of people are praying that it will. This year we missed two men who brought comfort and solace to our troops. His Eminence, Cardinal Spellman, and Billy Graham, who has been grounded temporarily. We hope he'll be back soon. But there's no lack of men of good faith. Despite the millions of words that have been spoken and written, we know there are no easy answers to this conflict. But an answer there must be. There are now some faint glimmers of hope, a few telltale signs that reason may yet prevail. We hope and pray that before too long, the peace for which we're all yearning will become a reality. With God's help, this will be the year. We had a great Christmas. Thanks for the memory. No one could more aptly describe the serious side of Bob Hope than Dr. Billy Graham, a man who has also devoted a great amount of his time to America's armed forces. This is Billy Graham. If America has a national hero, it is the ageless Bob Hope. More than any other person, he has kept America laughing during the most critical period of our history. Bob is more than an entertainer. He has become an American institution like the flag or the national anthem. His devotion to God, home, and country has inspired millions. During Christmas 1966, I had the privilege of being with Bob Hope in Vietnam. On Christmas Eve, I was on the aircraft carrier Kitty Hawk. I received a cable from Bob asking me to join him for a show the next day at Quinang. The weather was so bad that all air operations were canceled. I told the Admiral that I would like special permission to fly to the Bob Hope show. The restrictions were temporarily lifted, and we flew through heavy weather to be with Bob. I doubt if I would have flown in that kind of weather for anybody except Bob Hope, or perhaps the President of the United States. What an experience to see the faces of these soldiers when Bob walks on stage. Their faces light up like Christmas trees. He doesn't have to say a word. All he has to do is stand with that golf stick in his hand and look. And the servicemen laugh and applaud. I would think that Bob Hope is the most loved man in America. Congratulations, Bob, and I hope the Lord spares you for many more years. God bless you always. Just a few months ago, Bob Hope presented his Palm Springs Desert Golf Classic Award to the most popular golfer of current times, Arnold Palmer. Former President Dwight D. Eisenhower was the guest of honor. You know, we can't say enough. We, we say we're grateful and we're so thrilled that you're here again. Thank you very much. Bob, you made it... Uh, you made it impossible for me to talk. <laughs> I'm uh, not usually at a loss for words. But I think from my heart, all of these men, this club, and particularly you. Thank you. Thank you, General. Thank you very much. <laughs> late this year, Bob Hope was once again the master of ceremonies for Hollywood's most important night, the 40th annual celebration of the Academy Awards. This was Bob Hope's 14th appearance as Academy Award host, and as always, he was brilliant. Thank you very much. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Academy Awards. This is the big night. What tension, what drama, what suspense. I wish you could see this wonderful, glamorous audience. It's a sea of expensive gowns, fabulous jewels, luxurious minks, and the sheer beavers who paid for the expensive gowns. <laughs> this is the biggest night of the year for the movie industry. It must be. It says so in TV Guide. 
This is the night devoted to one man, Oscar, or as he's known around my house, the fugitive. But tonight we salute Hollywood, or as it's better known this year, the birthplace of politicians. <laughs> Pretty soon we're going to meet another category, best performance by a governor. again this year, and if you're wondering why they chose me, they wanted someone who was charming, urbane, witty, and completely uninvolved. <laughs> and I want to tell you this year, I'm so far out of the running, I'm even jealous of the losers. <laughs> Gathered in this auditorium tonight are the great actors and actresses, producers, directors, and writers who are responsible for making pictures what they are today, for adults only. <laughs> So let's get on with this farcical charade of vulgar egotism and pomposity. That's the nice thing about being a loser. You can say what you want. join in paying tribute to Bob Hope for this milestone in his life. And speaking for everyone who has ever seen or heard him, I think we can all sum up our feelings by saying, thank you, Bob Hope. You've changed sorrow to joy. You've changed our tears to laughter. You've changed despair to hope. You've shown us beauty where before we thought there was none. Yes, thank you, Bob Hope. Thank you for the memories. How does Bob Hope feel about this birthday? Well, I feel pretty good about this birthday. I've had, uh, I've been very, very lucky. I made a lot of wonderful friends, and I've, uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I've met a lot of wonderful people all over the world. And I've, I've had a full life, I guarantee you. I've been very, very lucky. service broadcast celebrating the 65th birthday of Mr. Bob Hope. This program came to you from Hollywood. This is Frank Brzee speaking. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.